Good morning. I always like to begin by sharing in the greeting that Christians have used all around the world and for centuries on this Resurrection Day. I'll say, Christ is risen. You'll respond by, He is risen indeed. We'll do this three times. And if you're in the ministry center, you've got to do it too. Ready? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Thank you very much. Let me begin by reading one of the post-resurrection passages from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you so troubled? And why do, you doubt, why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. And he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. Aren't you glad that you're here on Easter? I know I am. In America, Christmas and Easter are the two biggest holidays of the Christian faith, but they're described so differently in the Bible. In some ways, you know, Easter, Resurrection Day, is almost understated in the Bible. Yes, an angel comes to roll away the the stone from Jesus' tomb, but the actual moment of this grand miracle uh, takes place offstage without any human eyewitnesses. The women and the disciples, they sort of stumble on it after the fact. There are no angel choirs, no stars overhead, no wise men or shepherds on pilgrimage, no prophets to announce the good news, just Jesus, who for 40 days kind of flits in and out of time and space, appearing to his followers individually in small and large groups, up to 500 people at one time before he ascended into heaven. And he had dinners and breakfasts and long walks with people. He let people touch his wounds so that they would know for certain that they weren't seeing a ghost or having a figment of their imagination, to know for certain that he was real, resurrected flesh and blood. Not some Messiah wannabe who makes bold promises only to rot in his grave like everybody else. No, they checked his grave and he wasn't there. He was gone. The power of God burst from that tomb, brought him back to life, and authenticated the fact that Jesus was who he said he was, the very Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And that's why I like Easter as a holiday, and why I like to think of this day as the first day of the year, not January 1st, because everything starts fresh on Easter. I like to gauge how people are doing from one Easter to the next. 
And I must admit that last year at this time, I thought we would be a lot further down the road of our cultural recovery than we are. I mean, the main word I would use to describe the mood of this past Easter to Easter year for people is the word discouraged. Discouraged. This past year has been no vacation paradise. It's felt more like a combat zone. Every day has brought some new tough challenge. The economy still sputters. A lot of people hope we'd be past all that by now, but we're not. There are college grads who can't find jobs in their fields, people who have lost the jobs that they loved. There are people who are in dead-end jobs that they hate, but they can't give them up. And there are people who are just trying to hang on to the jobs that they have, even with more responsibilities piled on their already sagging shoulders because others have been downsized. And there are people who wish their jobs were more meaningful, that they contributed more to fixing some of the broken parts of this world. You add to that the wars, the protests, the, resurrect- the insurrections, the revolts, the violence going on around the world, the tsunamis and floods and environmental disasters, oil spills, even nuclear meltdowns. The human family pressures of school and college and work and relationships, marriages that are stressed to the max, and those who carry the grief of loved ones who died over this past year, it is a heavy load. And the sense that I get from people is that is what is most discouraging is that they feel like there is nothing they can do about it. That it's just kind of, kind of fate, like we're pawns in some cosmic chess game. It feels like feels like we're just ping-pong balls being knocked around by sinister forces that are too big for us to control, that our fate is determined for us. You know, when you leave today, notice the psychic reader who's opened up shop right across the street from the church. She'll read your fate in the tea leaves or the stars or tarot cards or some other kind of scam. I know it sounds silly, doesn't it? But she's making money somehow because when people get desperate, They'll believe anything. Discouraged. Fate's against you. So the only thing you can do is face your fate like we did the cold winter winds this year. Pull your hood up, wrap your scarf around your face, and put your head down as you stoically kind of march into that uncertain future. This Lenten season, we've been talking about crossroads. The places where our lives intersect with the life of Christ. And this morning we've come to that final crossroad of fate and forever. And I'm here on this resurrection day because I'm so grateful that that Jesus blew through the walls of fate and fatalism as he broke out of the tomb in resurrection power and glory. You see, Jesus wasn't just a, a victim of circumstance. He wasn't the victim of fate or the powers that be that conspired against him. He chose the path of the cross deliberately. At least three times prior to his arrest, the Gospels record that Jesus told his disciples plainly what was going to happen. Luke 9, verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He reminds the same disciples of this conversation in that post-resurrection passage that I read a little earlier. But even from the cross, Jesus could have called down legions of angels to rescue him from that horrible death, but he didn't. Fate didn't nail 
Jesus to the cross. Love did. Love because he didn't want us to face life burdened by sin and by guilt. Love because he doesn't want us trying to run through our lives on our own resources, depleted and empty. Love because he doesn't want us facing our fears alone or lonely. Jesus bursting from that tomb means that there is no fate, no fatalism, because the power of the love of God is bigger than anything else in the whole universe. Jesus is not the God of fate, but he is the God of forever. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you why that's important to us this morning. The resurrection shows us at least three things that God wants us to know in this world. First, that God's power changes things. God's power changes things. The Good Friday message is all about how God can forgive our sins, and that is absolutely important. But I don't know about you, but I need more than just forgiveness for the past. I need power in the present tense. Now, don't get me wrong. I am glad about the hereafter, but I need God's help in the here and now. I need to know that God has the power to actually enter the human heart and change it. That in his power it's possible for selfish people to be made unselfish, for immoral people to be given self-control, for cruel people to be made kind, for sour people to be sweetened, for rough situations to be made smooth, for twisted relationships to be straightened, for minuses to become pluses. The resurrection shows us God has the power to transform you and me into the image of Jesus Christ himself and to bring life to people who are now spiritually dead. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus is available to us today. The resurrected Jesus promised that kind of transformational power to his disciples, clothed with power from on high through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. Through Christ, we are raised from the death of sin and the fear of fate to a life of forgiveness and and freedom and friendship with God forever. Sometimes people talk about becoming a Christian as if it was no more than just kind of turning over a new leaf, maybe becoming a little more religious or making a few superficial changes. But when you scratch the surface, you're still the same old pagan underneath. No, if you're a real Christian... Real change has taken place. Becoming a Christian is far more radical because it goes to the very roots of our human essence, our our human personality. Becoming a Christian is nothing less than a resurrection from spiritual death and the beginning of an entirely new life in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. The same God of supernatural power who raised Jesus from physical death raises us from spiritual death to make us fully alive right now. God's power can change us and our circumstances because he did so in Jesus Christ. God's power available to you. That's first. And second, that leads to a new perspective. A new perspective on the life that you're living right now with all its problems and disappointments. The resurrected power of Christ doesn't make all our struggles just kind of instantly disappear. It's not as though God snaps his cosmic fingers and presto, life's a breeze. No. What happens is we begin to right-size our problems. Right-size our problems. We begin to realize that every problem we face in life 
has a time limit on it, an expiration date. No matter what it is, eventually it's going to go away, one way or another. Whether it's a financial problem, a physical problem, a decision that you're stressing over, every problem will eventually expire. The outcome may not be exactly what you want, or it might be better than you expected. It may spawn other issues because, you know, life keeps moving. But every one of life's challenges are temporary. What stresses us out is that we tend to fall into what's called catastrophic thinking. You have a problem, and it's just a catastrophe. It's the biggest thing in the world, and you blow it up in your mind, and you spin it up to such a scale that you just about drive yourself and those around you, you just about drive them crazy. My wife Donna was in a coffee shop last weekend when a very sophisticated kind of wealthy-looking woman just went on a verbal rampage because the barista didn't put the right amount of milk in her latte. The woman just exploded and just verbally beat up on the young woman who was serving her. I mean, it was ugly. And when you see something like that happen, you know it means that the rest of that woman's life is probably completely out of whack, that that her whole life is just kind of teetering on the edge. She may look sharp on the outside, but what's going on inside? She is just right on the edge. To make such a big deal about your coffee. I mean, there are things that should upset us. Like the fact that 25,000 children die every day on planet Earth because of nutrition, lack of nutrition and clean drinking water. That's something to get mad about, but your coffee, catastrophic thinking. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever find yourself thinking that way? The power of Christ in your life wants to help you right-size your problems and to understand that whatever vocational or financial or relational challenge comes your way, you'll get through it. You'll get through it with Christ. You will. It may not be easy, but you will get through it. In very practical ways, Christ wants you to right-size whatever it is that you are up against today. Jesus, the risen Christ, can give you this new kind of perspective so you don't spin out into some kind of you know, worst-case scenario imagining all the time. You don't have to kind of stay pasted up against the wall of fate thinking you only have your own resources to deal with it. God says he has limitless resources and the love to see you through. Power and perspective. And the third thing is promise. In the middle of facing these temporary problems, we need to hear God's gentle whisper saying, wait a minute, there's only one eternal problem. And I solved that one when I was resurrected and you received me into your life. The only eternal problem you're ever going to face has already been solved. All that's left are the temporary problems, and I'll face those with you as well. We'll face those expiration dates together. Let's keep today in perspective because I am the God of forever. There's only one eternal problem that every single one of us is going to hit, and that's facing our mortality and our forever, facing the fact that we are all going to die someday and that we face that something that lies beyond the grave. Now, it's possible that you might be so blessed as to make it through your life without hitting any of life's really big speed bumps. I hope that might be true. But the human drama ends the same for every single one of us. None of us is getting out of this alive. 
we're all going to sooner or later hit that mortality wall. We just don't know when. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of sitting in a traffic light and maybe one of those black hearses kind of pulls up right next to you. You can't help but kind of look over your shoulder and wonder, maybe there's a casket in the back. So you just kind of look straight ahead, but you feel like the driver of the hearse is looking at you. So you glance over, and he's giving you that little smile like no recession in my business. And I might be making this up, but when that happens to me, and I feel like he's kind of sizing me up, six foot tall, 185 pounds, standard casket, this would not be a problem. And you know, it's weird because I'm thinking you'll be a, he's thinking you'll be a customer someday. And I'm like, not today, buddy. And I floor it and I get out of there. And I can't help but on the way out saying over my shoulder, and I want to be cremated. But we all have to face this someday. Intelligent people have to have enough foresight to ask themselves this question, what's going to happen to me when I do? What's on the other side? Well, the Bible is crystal clear about this wall of mortality. The book of Hebrews says it this way. It's appointed for men and women to die once. There go all those ideas of reincarnation or coming back 20 or 30 times. It's not going to happen. To die once, and then comes the day of reckoning. That's Hebrews 9, 27. That's when you and I will stand before the God who made us. We can't avoid it, but we can prepare for it. You prepare for your date with forever by getting to know the one who blew through the stone that covered that grave and made it out the other side alive, resurrected, reigning on high, proving that he was indeed the Son of God. I like how Jesus said it himself one time when he was teaching. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. John eleven twenty five. That's Jesus' forever promise. From the only one who's ever been through death and resurrected on the other side. Now I say this respectfully, but I've never really been able to understand people who believe in other religions whose founders who espoused great ideas died and stayed in their graves. Go to any cemetery anywhere in the world and you're going to see a bunch of tombs and they're all occupied. But you can stand outside in a line in, uh, outside of Jerusalem and see Jesus' tomb and it's empty. He conquered the grave. He broke through death, proving his messiahship and making his resurrection an opportunity for everybody if they would believe in him. That is the story and the power of Easter. Now, the problem is is that most of us really aren't that interested in eternal life. We don't really want to think about what comes next because we're just simply up to our eyeballs in all the stuff that's going on right now. Particularly if you're a younger person, you could think, well, I I don't really need to worry about that for 50 or 60 years. Uh, The concept's fine, but, you know, talk to me about it when I'm 80 because I'm just into other stuff right now, and I understand that. But listen up. There is a time coming in every person's life, and I don't care if you're 26, 46, 56, or 86. A time is coming when you are one phone call away of becoming very interested in resurrection. Very interested. That's all it takes. One phone call from a doctor, one phone call from the police, one phone call from a relative, and you are instantly interested in resurrection. But what we need to understand is that when Jesus offers power and perspective and the promise of eternity is you don't have to wait until you die 
to experience what he's talking about. The promise of eternal life starts now, forever starts now. The quality of life in the kingdom of heaven can begin to take effect in your life here on earth. When Jesus prayed his prayer, the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about during your lifetime. That's the kingdom dream that eternal life starts now when you receive Christ. So have you ever asked the risen Christ to be the leader of your life? To be forgiven of your sins. And in that way to begin this miracle of eternal life in your life right now. And as you go through the rest of your life on into eternity. The power, the perspective, and the promise of Jesus. Bearing our sin and guilt and condemnation in his own innocent person. In order that we might be forgiven and risen to enable you to blow right through the wall of death and to live in heaven forever on the other side. I can't think of a better time to clarify that decision than on a day like today when all history changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This weekend, all over the world, there are billions of people who are celebrating and singing and dancing and shouting their joy to the Lord Jesus because of this Easter miracle. And I really want you to know that deep in your heart too. You know that in this church, we care about every person here. We care about families, your needs, your future. We care about your forever, but not nearly as much as Jesus does. Today, know that Jesus is saying in very practical terms that whatever you think fate has thrown at you, whatever things that you're going through, don't ever think that you face those alone. Don't ever think you have to put that all on your shoulders. His power, his perspective, his promise of forever is with you. It is real enough for you to join in because you've encountered the risen Savior and eternal life is already happening in you as you move on through the rest of your life. This morning, we are at the crossroad of fate and forever. And it's Jesus Christ who meets us there. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, here we are in this resurrection weekend, and we're so grateful that you burst through the mortality wall and blew through the stone of the tomb and resurrected in power and in glory. And Lord, you are above and beyond description. Your grace knows no measure. You're the only one who loves us enough to atone for our sin. And through the display of your resurrection power, offer us the perspective and promise of forever. God, we leave this place infused with your spirit, confident in your presence. And we trust you, Lord, for our future. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.